0: Labor Day weekend, enjoying the holiday weekend? All right. Labor, actually get to slow down. And when I think of Labor Day, I think of listen. Before everything gets cranked up and full rhythm and before we're going full sprint, let's slow down, actually, today, tomorrow, and just listen to God. God, what are your plans? What are your priorities God, let's listen so that we'll be in step with the Spirit. Let's let God write the script. Let's trust God together. And as we enter in, let's stay united this fall. Uh, Labor Day, again, great chance to listen to God. Maybe grab a pen and paper and just write some things down as you pray and as you listen. We are in a series right now, The Joy of Serving, and we're in the book of Titus. If you brought a Bible, you can turn there or find it on your phone. We're at the end of chapter 1. The joy of serving because there's so much joy in serving one another and using our gifts to glorify God together. And in this text right here, we're going to cover conversations that lead to growth. There are different conversations where we're listening, we're receiving, we're also sharing. And these conversations actually spur us on in our walk with God, and we grow together. We want to be growing, not going sideways or backwards. We want to be growing together, and uh, God's Word is powerful. It changes our lives. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, thank you for this time together that's so meaningful. God, there's so much purpose when we gather and worship you, when we dive into your Word. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you how you empower us. God, you give us what we need. You go before us this week, and Father, you make shifts inside of us that only you can make. You bring healing and restoration. God, only you can do it. We thank you for your touch. We thank you for your care. We thank you that we can truly trust your leadership, Jesus, and we take next steps together. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Titus was given a new role and he was leading on this island of Crete, this is an island just off the coast in Greece and there were many churches on this island, there was chaos on this island, there were five different distinct ethnic groups on this island, there were people who were doing whatever they want to do, there were people who were in the middle of legalism and self-righteous religion and it was all happening on the island and that's where God led Titus so he would serve there. And ultimately, so that people would have healthy churches and walk in healthy relationships with God. That's the heart of this short letter from a mentor, Paul, to Titus, who's growing in his leadership and growing in his faith. Now, a lot of people talk about church growth, but I want to point out that you can have growth without health. There can be a lot of growth, but a lack of health. And so instead of focusing on growth, which can be a blessing, focus on health. And what does it look like to have a healthy church and a healthy walk with God or to be healthy spiritually at home? And when there's a healthy culture, there's a multiplication of health. Because as you walk in health, you inspire other people to walk in those next steps and growing and also healthy with God. They needed to make some shifts on the island of Crete, and we need to make some shifts in the church in America. You know, what are some of these shifts? Instead of being so focused on programs, we need to shift and know that it's about relationships. Relationships are primary. Healthy relationships, united relationships, and trust. That's a shift. Instead of just focusing on our plans, and it's good to have plans, we need to make sure that they're prayerful. And we need to be praying, because when people pray, God moves in power. You experience more of his presence when you pray. We need to make a shift, and instead of just listening to everything the world's saying, We need to shift and really trust the word of God. And we need to break out of this compartmentalization of one building or one hour or one day into abiding with Jesus where we live, work, learn, or play. And these are healthy shifts. They needed to make some healthy shifts in Crete. We need to make some healthy shifts here. They needed revival in Crete. We need revival in America today. And where does it start? God started with Titus. God starts with you and your walk with him. You won't share or minister in a deeper way than your own personal depth with Jesus. God is taking Titus deeper with Jesus. He's taking the church deeper with Jesus, and the fruit of that is going to be health. So there's a lot of parallels, and the call on Titus's life as he serves in that situation which was unhealthy, is don't be discouraged. Don't be intimidated. Don't be silent. Don't be in despair. Don't be passive. And I hope as you look around today and you see things that are unhealthy, that you would know God does not give you a spirit of timidity, but power and love. And so don't be passive and discouraged and despair and complaining and the typical stuff, but instead trust God and step up in love and in truth. We're gonna look at three positive steps, things we can do when there's an unhealthy situation And this comes right from Titus chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 10. And the first step is to identify what's destructive. If they're going to have health in Crete, you've got to identify the reality of what's destructive. Titus 1 verse 10. For there are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are ruining whole households by teaching things that they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. Even one of their own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. In verse 14 also, they pay no attention, Uh, this is the command, to Jewish myths or to the commands of those who reject the truth. That's a breakdown of the situation. Well, what's going on in the island of Crete? Uh, Here's a couple of terms and phrases, concepts that's important to understand. First of all, the people were rebellious. They were going against God, going against his word. I want to tell you, whenever you go against the word, you're also going against God. God and his word, it's parallel tracks. If you think of a railroad track, they're always in alignment. So you can't say, I'm going to reject the word, but I'm still with God. God and his word are together. And they were rejecting the word, they were rejecting God. And not only that, they were bold in their sin. Have you ever seen someone bold in their sin? Kind of proud about their sin, boasting about their sin, even glory in their shame? That was the situation in Crete. There was nothing subtle about it. Also, other people are deceivers. This word Crete turned into a verb. Why? Because going back to the sixth century before Christ, that's where Paul quotes this poet, it turned into a proverb. And it was an accurate description of what was happening in Crete. In verse 12, we see what's happening. They're evil brutes, right? They're lying. They're um, dishonest gain. I mean, all of this was happening to, to Crete, turned into a verb, to lie, to deceive. There was all kind of deception on the island. And uh, I'll say this. There was also myths, mythical stories. Think about today. Are you aware of any conspiracy theories? Ever heard of one of those? Ever seen one of those online? You know what happens? Christians are just like all in on the next conspiracy theory. Let me tell you, if A and B are true, it doesn't mean C, D, and E are true. And these myths and conspiracy stories, they were based in the Old Testament. So they would start with an Old Testament truth, and then they would spin off and come up with all these ideas and just read that into the Bible and twist it and spin it in conspiracy. And everyone's like, oh, tell me more. I believe, I believe. Could we do this? Could we double down on what we know? Instead of just living in assumptions and speculations, and I'm not really sure, but this latest rumor says. And, and they had that challenge in Crete. It just sounded kind of enticing. It tickled the ears, the next conspiracy theory. Oh, let's go all in on that one, and whoever doesn't believe is not on fire for God. Really? Really? And, and so that was the situation at Crete we can relate today. There were a lot of mere talkers. You ever been around someone that sounds so spiritual? They can quote Bible verses, they know the, the verse, they know where to find it, they've got four Bibles at home, they, you know, have the bumper stickers, they just talk all the time, but then when you're close to them and you're actually watching their lives, it's like, yeah, that doesn't really match the words. Mere talkers, big talkers in Crete, talking so spiritual, but you know what, the actions didn't line up with the words. And what we see sometimes is there's this gap between someone's character and actually their competency. Someone could have incredible gifts, but their character isn't there. Or they have charisma, and you think, wow, but the character's not there. They've got great experiences, but the character's not there. And sometimes they get all the attention and the accolades, but there's a gap between the character. And when that gap exists, it's like a hollow lifestyle that looks good on the outside, but the character's missing. That was all over Crete. That was all over the island. And it's an easy trap to fall into. Sometimes, if you're a long term Christian, you know what to say. You know how to act when people are around. You know how to sound theological. You know how to pray impressive. But actually, there's another story on the inside. You say, Well, how's the character? What about when no one's watching? What about at home? What about when the temptation is hot right there? How are we going to live? And the island and the churches were filled with people on the outside that were looking impressive, but the character was missing. That was part of the reality had to unpack that. There was a circumcision group. He said, well, what's a circumcision group? We don't really have circumcision groups in our culture today. This was a group that they were Jewish, and now God is working, and he loves the Gentiles. He loves Jews. In case you didn't know, God loves people from every nation, tribe, tongue, and ethnicity. And he sees everyone as equal and he loves everyone and some in the Jewish group are having a hard time with this because Gentiles, that's not who they really love and what they did was try to impose, they said well if the Gentiles are actually going to be saved and follow Jesus, they need to get circumcised and you know what else, they need to follow all the laws and it'll be the laws that earn salvation. It was an early form of legalism. Maybe you grew up in a church where there's a lot of legalism. Well, the circumcision group, they didn't just show up in churches because they didn't have buildings like this, but they would go into homes. That's where the church met. And they would tell people, no, actually, you don't know Jesus. The only way you can know Jesus is if you get circumcised and you start keeping all these laws. And these new believers, impressionable, were like, oh, okay, maybe I'm not saved. Maybe I don't know Jesus. Maybe I need to do 10 more things to get saved. But salvation's always by grace alone, through faith alone. And it's not earned through behaviors and rituals and religious commands. That's not how you earn salvation. And those legalists mess people up. And then there were others who were over-abstaining. And remember, you've got the legalism on one side in Crete, and on the other side, you've got licentiousness. I mean, you've got people doing whatever they want to do, bold in their sin, and then you've got the legalists. The legalists are going to say you actually need to over-abstain. And that's my term, but something is from God and it's good, And the legalists show up and say, no, you can't have any of that. And actually, the Bible says, thank God for it and enjoy it. It can happen in the realm of food, where the legalists would say, no, you can't enjoy that food. This, 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 can't have it. You're less spiritual if you eat it. (laughs) And and the Bible actually says, no, you can enjoy it and thank God for it and eat it. Uh, Here's another class one, money. Uh, There's some people who think that if you're really spiritual, you won't have much money. That's not true. People twist the Bible verse. They say money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's wrong to have money. Actually, the Bible says it's the love of money that leads to all kinds of evil. Money's not evil. Money's a blessing. You can follow Jesus and have money. You can use that money to help people and build the kingdom. It's not wrong to follow Jesus and be rich. Like, that's not wrong. And so the legalists try to over-abstain. What about Priests. Sometimes in our culture, we say only certain people are priests, but let me tell you what the Bible says, anyone who follows Jesus is a priest. This is the priesthood of all believers. And so for a few people to be priests but then no one else is priests Actually the job of a priest is to let everyone know that everyone's a priest and empower that So to to think that there's this group or even like could pastors get married can priests get married Well the Bible um, gives that freedom some are called to singleness that's wonderful But you know there's also freedom to get married Peter was married and so uh, sometimes marriage is looked upon as, oh, less spiritual, You're second rate if you're married, you gave in. No, actually, you just thank God and you enjoy that marriage. So there was all kinds of twisting. I hope you're getting a picture. Maybe you've unfortunately had to grow up with some of that twisting that didn't align with the Bible, but that was happening in Crete. And can you imagine what it was like for Titus to show up on this island, to see all of this chaos, and these were all just symptoms of people not abiding with Jesus. When all of us, when I stop abiding with Jesus, the Bible says it's the flesh that breaks out. And my attitude changes, my words change, my accents change, and they're just symptoms. It's a lack of fruit in my life from not abiding with Jesus. In Crete, they weren't abiding with Jesus. And Jesus, he's bold. Uh, I was looking at this passage in Luke 11, where uh, Jesus calls out the self-righteousness. He calls out the reality. You think, did Jesus always avoid some of these destructive realities? No, actually, he talked about them. This is a very bold step. It was in Luke 11. It might surprise you what Jesus does. In verse 37, we read when Jesus had finished speaking. So Jesus was teaching, Jesus was speaking. Then a Pharisee invited Jesus over to eat with him. So he went and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee, noting that Jesus did not first wash before the meal, he was surprised. Because Pharisees had all these extra laws and rules that weren't in the Bible. And Jesus didn't follow all of them. So this self-righteous man is thinking, who is this Jesus? He's not spiritual. He doesn't do all our extra laws. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisee, clean the outside of the cup of the dish. That's what you do. But inside, you're full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? See what Jesus did? Invited over to be a guest, reclining, enjoying a meal, called out on legalism. Did Jesus say, oh, my bad, let me go wash my hands? No, he didn't. He said, if we're going to talk about destruction here... Let me just tell you what's going on. Pharisees, the outside of the cup looks so good, but the inside, full of greed and selfishness and corruption. He called out the destructive religious leaders in a way that they can't deny. Why would he do that? Because it's an invitation in love. It's a rebuke, so that the inside of the cup would also match the outside of the cup. And that spiritual health. He was giving them an opportunity to step into spiritual health because they were settling for a whole bunch of spiritual front, but on the inside, a lack of integrity. And where does it all start? You know, we're seeing so many interesting things in our culture. And one of them that caught my attention this week in the news uh, goes back to Harvard. Harvard, you know, in the Boston area, is an academic institution, a college that has you know, lots of respect It's one of the top schools academically. And then spiritually, this is an interesting turn of events. Uh, Going back to the history with Harvard, Harvard University was founded as Harvard College in 1636. It had a stated purpose for the college, and it was to train literate clergy. These were the mottos. Truth for Christ and truth in the church. All of this to the glory of Christ. Now, Harvard uh, just recently has hired an atheist as their chief chaplain. Harvard as a chaplain, and their chief chaplain is now an atheist. Again, I want to go back to the beginning of the school. In order to graduate from Harvard, the student had to be able to logically explain the holy scriptures, both Old and New Testaments, and also be blameless in life and character. Healthy inside the cup, healthy outside the cup. Beginning of Harvard. Every student be plainly instructed, earnestly pressed to consider well the main end of his life and studies is to know God in Jesus Christ because this is eternal life. Harvard was founded as a school so that students could know Jesus and experience eternal life and walk with him. Everyone shall so exercise himself in reading the scriptures twice a day. That's so foreign for us. Like, what? Harvard's saying you need to read the Bible twice a day and grow spiritually. Again, for us, it's like that was the beginning. There are a lot of eye-opening documents about the beginning of our country, not just Harvard, and the focus on God and the focus on Jesus. Well, what's just happened? According to the New York Post, uh, the spiritual leader of Harvard now doesn't need a higher power. Chaplain is saying we don't need God. He's an atheist. Uh, The chaplain explained to the New York Times, there's a rising group of people who no longer identify with any religious tradition. We don't look to a God for answers. We are each other's answers. So the teaching is you don't need to look to God for wisdom or truth. Like, you just look inside and you listen to your friends and you're going to get it. That's where the answer lies. And he has a bestseller, Good Without God. Like That's the whole motto is let's just be good without God. Let's do it all on our own strength. We're self-sufficient. Michael Brown says the irony here is that a chaplain by definition means to be a religious leader, not simply a department head or administrator. And so now an atheist is the chief university chaplain. It's like appointing a Christian evangelist to head up the university's atheist club. I volunteer. I'm willing to do that. So they voted to elect him unanimously, and uh, even there's a military website, because our military has so many chaplains. The chaplain's responsibilities include performing religious rites, conducting worship services, providing confidential counseling, and advising commanders on religious, spiritual, and moral matters. And as we hear what's happening at Harvard, some people are a little surprised, some of you knew that, and you're like, yep, that's what's going on in our culture. Some, you might feel a little concerned, some, you're going to start praying more, like there's a range of reactions, but ultimately, the college just reflects the culture, and it's just a symptom of drifting and wandering and not abiding with Jesus. And it's easy to just point fingers, and sometimes we get involved and have conversations, but what's God's solution in Crete? What's God's solution today? Is to start with individuals who go deep with Jesus, like Titus, and then restore the health of the church. Because the health of the church is what's going to change the culture, not just a bunch of finger-pointing, resentment, being mean, but it's going to be the health of the church. The church is designed to influence the culture, but what's happening is the culture is influencing the church. So God starts with someone like Titus. God starts with you today and says, here's my plan. Let's have healthy churches. Let's have healthy churches because that's what's going to change the culture. And at Grace, we just as we're beginning the fall with our staff, we're able to talk and share and pray about what are the three essentials this year? What's most important at Grace? What are three rockets where there's lots of potential? And what are the three roadblocks? What are challenges to God's work here at Grace? And i want to tell you what the ultimate roadblock is for all of us it's to grieve and quench the holy spirit it's to say no to the holy spirit and uh, i'll tell you what the holy spirit wants to do in our lives is shine a light to jesus that our lives would shine the light in the love of the Lord. And the Holy Spirit will empower us to do that individually and together. And wouldn't it be great, I mean it's my prayer that if anyone comes to grace at any time, they would see Jesus. They would learn about Jesus. Jesus would be exalted and he would draw people unto him. They would hear what Jesus is saying. And they would experience in the relationships and conversations that light and love of Jesus. And watch out because if you come to grace, you might get transformed by Jesus. You might experience Your marriage might get healed Addictions might get broken You might start to have more hope than ever before And more joy Because all of that is found in Jesus (laughs) The first step is to identify what's destructive Here's the second step And now we're going to go from preaching to meddling It's to rebuke with love That's the next step In serving God There's a greater joy Maybe not an initial joy Let's take a look at verse 13 This testimony is true, therefore rebuke them sharply, so they will be sound in the faith. Sound in the faith means healthy. When you break down that phrase, it means healthy. Have accountability so that we will also have health. And sometimes that accountability is going to include rebuking someone with love. I wrote this diagram today because I was trying to take these concepts and put them into pictures. And this is a triangle right here. On the bottom left-hand side, this is your growth and your health, your personal growth with God and health in your walk with God. Over here on the right-hand side, someone else's growth and someone else's health and their relationship with God. And then above that, we see God's kingdom. God's kingdom is growing, flourishing. And the three are related. As you're growing in health, someone else is growing in health, God's kingdom is growing, and the churches are getting more healthy. And in the very middle is do this. Do this. What is God calling you to do that's both going to help you grow, help someone else grow, and help the kingdom flourish? And during the day, during the week, to prayerfully listen to God and abide, God, today, what is the do this for me? What have you called me to do so that all grow, someone else will grow, and the kingdom will flourish? And people look at this and you're probably thinking, yeah, that makes logical sense. That's good. I'm on board. What is my do this? What is it, God? And all of this looks good until God says the do this is rebuke someone in love. Ah, okay, I knew there was a catch. I'm not sure. I want to do that. Will it help me grow? Yes. Will it help someone else grow? Yes. Will it be good for the kingdom and the health of church? Yes. But I'm not sure. I want to do this. You didn't tell me this was rebuke someone. Well. I went to one of our son's soccer games and at the soccer games it's a good time usually on the sidelines there's some conversation able to meet some people and just enjoy the game uh, figure out how life's going sometimes we talk spiritual stuff just a bunch of different things happen on the sidelines during a soccer game and during my son's last game when I was there there was a woman and she brought her daughter and I just sat down next to him to just say hello and just start a conversation and what happened a bee came and flew on her forearm. And I didn't see the bee initially, but what I did hear her say is there's a bee on my arm and I'm allergic to bees. And at that point, I wasn't sure what to do, so I leaned over, because she was kind of frozen, like I'm allergic to bees, and this bee was just camped out, like it had been there a while. And, And I looked over, and I just did one of these. They don't train you in seminary how to minister to people who have a bee on their arm and they're allergic to bees. So I just did And I don't know if it was the wind or the bad breath, something, but the bee flew away and it just seemed to work. But it was a little late because she said, the bee stung me. And now what do we do? Because she starts to tell the story as a teenager, they discovered that if she's ever stung by a bee, she is prone to have very severe reactions and she's never been stung all these years. So what do you do? I pulled out my phone. I googled. What do you do if someone's allergic, stung by a bee? And you know what the answer was? Get a cold compress and also elevate the arm. Elevate the arm, cold compress. We started to do that. And then I started to search, what kind of bee was it? Because I'm asking her, you know, and she's talking about which kind of bees there are. There's several kinds of bees. And which kind was this? And I Google search, and it was a wasp. And she said, that's the very worst one. <laughs> and so put the cold on there, you know. And now it's starting to swell. And now there's a rash breaking out. And it just happened. The sting just happened. So you... I know what my next move was, and it was to pray. And I just prayed out loud, God, please heal her right now. Please protect her right now. We pray against any severe reactions, and we pray for healing in Jesus' name. And that was on the sideline. And, you know, how are you going to pray? Well, I could have tried to make it this really bland, general prayer, just bless her, but the power is in Jesus' name. And so I wasn't going to go down the sidelines and ask even parents, now how do you feel about praying in Jesus' name? And where where are you at? And is this going to offend you? No, this is someone who the rash is breaking out, the swelling's happened. We pray in Jesus' name for healing right now. And she pulled out this long needle and said, I've been carrying this around for many years. She said, if I can't breathe and I start suffocating right now, this needs to go in my leg and uh, I was like you were in jeans she's like just jam it through the jeans and I'm thinking I don't want to so I'm praying and I'm praying, <laughs> I'm praying and I'm praying the Bible says continually pray it was good for my prayer life I'm praying and we're watching her and she's got the cold compress and she's elevating and we're praying and uh, praise the Lord uh, the needle didn't need to go through her jeans and into her leg uh, I don't know if I would have done that or just said who wants to do it But uh, we were close, we were close to that. And I'll tell you on Facebook, she then um, put the message in, told what happened, and said, prayer works. You guys, prayer works. And we were nearing that moment where I didn't want to inject the needle, she didn't want that needle thrust into her leg, but we were nearing that moment where for her health, there was a responsibility that someone might need to put that needle into the leg. And I want to share the second diagram. And as we're following God and serving God, here's two questions. The first on the left-hand side, do I want to do this? There's some things that God is going to lead you to do, and you're like, yes, I want to do that. That brings me great joy. There's other things that God is going to call you to do where you feel like, no, I really don't. God, I'm not sure you got the right person. Could you find somebody else? I don't want to do it I don't want to do it. I know it says it in the Bible a hundred times, but I don't want to do it, and the wrestling begins. Now, if we want to do something, we'll often do it. whether the other person wants us to do it or doesn't want us to do it, those are the two environments. we'll probably do it if we really want to do it. And then sometimes we don't want to do it, but you know the other person really wants it. so sometimes we'll just say yes because we're well intentioned we 're trying to be nice. Or sometimes we just give in to peer pressure, or we're trying to please people in an unhealthy way, but sometimes we'll do it. But where Titus is in this passage, in this verse right here, and when we're talking about rebuking someone with love, what we're talking about is the quadrant where we don't want to necessarily do it that much, and we're looking around at what the other person said, how they're living, they're stubborn in sin, they've been doing it for a long time, I'm reading the nonverbals. they don't want to hear a rebuke either. Have you ever been in that situation? You don't really want to say anything. You're pretty sure the other person doesn't want you to say anything, but God's saying, you need to say something. You need to have a conversation. You need to have some honesty here. And in that situation right there, in that quadrant, will we be faithful to God? Will we be faithful to God? Because if we're not going to be faithful to God, this will be the result. There'll be a lack of integrity in the church and there will be much both immorality and immaturity in the church. If we're not faithful in this quadrant, we will stop growing, there'll be a ceiling. In churches, there'll be a lack of integrity, even with leadership, with pastors. There'll be immorality running about and there'll be so much immaturity. And this area right here, this quadrant, I'll just give you two examples. One is rebuking. One is accountability and deep, honest conversations. We've got this phrase in our culture, you do you. You do you. And I'll tell you, there's half of it that's really positive. You do you means like be all that God's designed you to be. Use your gifts, do it your style, have freedom in the Lord. That's positive. But you do you that's not positive is yeah, you go ahead and sin, be destructive. I'm just going to stand back because you do you, I'll do me, I'll do my sin, you do your sin, nobody talk about it, we'll just keep it going in the church for a long time, everyone keep it quiet, you do you, I'll do me, and that's not biblical, and so in this realm right here of rebuking people and accountability, in a lot of churches, it's easy to say, yeah, we're not going to be faithful in that realm, we're just going to let things fly, and also here's another example, what about sharing our faith? Most people, if you ask them about sharing their faith, they're going to say, I don't feel like it. And then I'm looking around in Seattle in the Sound and say, I don't think people want to hear it either. And that's often a perception. People want to hear it more than we think. So that realm, sharing my faith, yeah, I don't think I want to. I don't think they want to hear it. Yeah, let's forget about that. Rebukes, accountability, let's forget about it. Sharing our faith, let's forget about it. And what happens is, is you end up having immature churches that are not shining the light and love of Jesus in their communities. And you look inside of it, and there's this whole mixture of some hypocrisy, legalism, weirdness, and it's kind of like, ooh, what's going on in there? And we need revival. We need something healthier. Do you ever just watch that and think, yeah, is there something healthier we could have in America? Is there a different way to walk with God? Could Crete ever turn around? Could we see revival in the land? Well, it's going to involve some of these rebukes. And I want to point out this. On the cross, did Jesus want to become sin, be murdered, and die on a cross? He said three times, Father, if there's any other way, could you take it from me? And then did the people want it? Did disciples want to see their Savior crucified? His closest friends didn't want it. But Jesus was faithful in the most difficult quadrant. If we're going to grow in our faith, we're going to say yes in the most difficult quadrant because what do we see? The potential for health, revival, salvation, healing, restoration in churches that are dynamic and alive. And we say yes to restoration. It leads to the third Restore if possible. Look at verse 15. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing's pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences, the corrupted, they claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. And ultimately, that's detestable. It's disobedient. It's really unfit for doing anything good. Restore if possible. We worship a God who restores. For anyone here today, God can restore your marriage, God can restore integrity, God can restore your peace and joy, God can restore respect. Ultimately, God restores people. That's who we worship, the God who restores people on the island of Crete and the God who restores people in the sound today. If you look around at what's happening spiritually, what you kind of observe is that the hot are getting hotter and a lot of times the cold are getting colder. Spiritually, right now, the hot are getting hotter. Those who are pure are getting more of a passion for purity. And those who are rejecting purity, they're getting bolder in their sin. The hot are getting hotter. The cold are getting colder. And what needs to happen? Sometimes you can't restore someone. Sometimes they're saying, I'm not changing my sin. Sometimes people need to leave the church because a lot of destruction is happening as church discipline. That's in Corinthians. That's not the ideal. But that's a reality. You restore as much as possible. You could love someone in your family, forgive them, care for them, and they could still be cruel to you, and you can only be so close. You've got to have a boundary because they're going to bring toxic destruction and even hurt you physically or abuse you, and you need a boundary there. So restoration. Don't hear me say that if you're just humble and you rebuke someone with love, there's going to be this incredible restoration. No, be faithful, and then trust God with the results. And people are going to make their own decisions. But these difficult conversations... It's humility and honesty. That's the combination. Humility and honesty and really new habits to rebuke with love. Uh, Have you started any new habits in your life recently? You know, fall, there's a lot of new habits that start. Uh, For me, one that I started not too long ago was with my calves. Because I play soccer and my calves the last couple years have just been taking more of a toll. I didn't used to have that when I was younger, but now it's like I'll miss a week. I'll miss two weeks, my calves. So I called my friend who used to play with me and uh, played soccer on the same teams. He's a doctor now, and he said, this is what you need to do. He said, lean over the back of a stair, and then um, I won't do it here, risk anything, but um, on, on one leg, do that calf so You're leaning over the stair 20 times, and you turn and do the other, and I started that habit. Now, I'm constantly doing that. It looks a little goofy at home, but I'm, I'm doing that all the time on the stairs and I'll tell you what I'm not getting the injuries in my calves anymore And that habit is strengthening and protecting and that's a physical habit you know as adjustments as you get older but uh, there's spiritual habits like prayer and fasting and going to church and worshiping and sharing your story and rebuking people with love and when you start to develop that habit and you can enter into honest humble conversations that's where there's gonna be the most fruit You say, well, how how would you do that? Where would you even start? You you could start with this question. Questions are disarming. You ask the person, can I share something with you? Most people are going to say yes at that point. You know, can I share something with you? And then you get specific. When you are drunk and you drive, uh, that could lead to someone losing their life or getting injured. Uh, I'm concerned when you choose to do that, what the results are going to be. So very specific just a specific action. I'm not unpacking all this emotion. I'm not getting wild and crazy. I'm just talking about a specific action. When you do this, this is a result and a concern. Now, I need to listen at that point. I need to ask questions. There might be something I'm missing. How do you feel about that? Do you agree? You know, tell me about why you're doing what you're doing. How's that working for you? And then it's a two-way conversation. You're listening at that point. And then at the end, you share your heart. You say, all right, this is my heart. It's not the law that, you know, is the main thing. Here's my heart. I love you, and I care about you, and I just want the best for you. And, and, and I, I just want to, um, you know, if I could play any role in protecting, that, that's my heart. That's my heart. Do, do you see that process right there? So it's honest, it's humble, you walk through things, and it's part of healthy two-way communication. What happens in the church sometimes is that picture honesty. One being shallow, ten being most honest. Sometimes in the church, we just live in this two or three on the honesty scale. And we think that's the spiritual thing. Just be nice, be shallow, be kind, never address anything. Just, how are you? Great day, super day. Me too. Awesome. That too? Great. I love that too. Great. Wonderful. Small talk. We're doing great. And we sit at a two or three. And then you know what happens? I spend some time with people who don't follow Jesus. And you know what? All of a sudden, I'm hearing comments of honesty. It's like six, seven. And sometimes it's like, ooh, we might want to clean up that language. But you know what? I really appreciate the honesty. I'm not guessing about what you're saying. I'm not guessing about what you saw. You just called it out, and that was refreshing. Thank you. Whereas Christians will sometimes sit there in two and three land Nicey, but inside, ooh, there's other things brewing. And then finally they'll get online and they'll get 9 and 10 honest and nasty and negative. And it's like, could we do something besides just shallow twos and threes and then jump online and get negative and nasty at 9 and 10? Like, could we learn how to just have two-way positive, humble, honest conversations that really bring health and life change? Amen. That's the health for the church in Crete. That's the health that's described here. It's summarized in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if someone's caught in a sin, you who are spiritual, it just means if you're walking with God, restore them gently. Watch yourself so you don't start doing the same sin they're doing. Carry each other's burdens in this way. You're going to fulfill. That's the law of Christ. This is what Jesus wants. If you really think you're something, uh, don't deceive yourself. So don't be puffed up with a big head. Instead, test your own actions. Make sure that you know, you're walking and stop comparing to other people. Each one carries his own load. So humbly walk with God. Look out, care, restore other people. This is God's design. And Titus, you're going to step in to a hot mess in the island of Crete. You know what? You might step in. You might already are in a couple in your family or at work into a couple situations. It's a hot mess. And, and what are you going to do? Titus, You can't wait because it's not going to fix itself. We're not just going to wake up the next day and Titus is going to go, "Whoo! all the churches are healthy in Crete. This is wonderful. We're not just going to wake up next week and go, wow, all the churches in America just got healthy. This is wonderful. It just happened. No, you start where you are. You do what you can. You listen to God and start with the church where God's placed you. And then how you're going to live. Don't wait for other people. Be part of the solution. You know what's beautiful is when someone says, I want to confess. Sometimes we'll have it in our house with one of our kids, just as I need to tell you something. I've been doing this. And whenever someone comes to God with that, God never despises the humble or contrite in heart. Today, you might want to come before God and say, you know, I haven't been treating my spouse quite right. God, my purity hasn't been there. God, I've been selfish. Jesus, I've been too silent about you. You know, I'm not really using my gifts for you, God. Whatever that is, that God is saying, do this, and, and you've been making excuses or rationalizing or you know, playing games with it, you come to God today and you receive his grace. God restores. God builds you up. You, you don't have to hide anything. There's integrity. There's health. And you're living in the light. You're walking in the light. And the light of God shines through his churches across the sound. That's the revival For the island, that's the revival for us. Uh, Let me ask you, what is your do this today? And even if you don't initially want to, will you say yes to the Lord? Uh, I'm so encouraged what God's doing at Grace Community Church right now. All the glory to Jesus. And, you know, in churches, sometimes people look at numbers, and numbers can be encouraging, and that's fine. But for me, it's stories, and it's life change and it's what God's doing in people's lives. And the stories I'm hearing, there's so many every week. And I'll say some are in worship and arts, Some are in Grace Kids. Some are in middle school. Some are in high school. Some are in our care ministry. Some are international students. Some are media ministry. Some are local outreach and meeting needs. Some are young at heart. It's just this great mixture right now where God is doing something special. And it feels like we're on the cusp of something very special. And so I ask you um, today to just say, what's the next step? that God is leading you to take? What's the next step? And uh, there's so many, um, you know, I I wrote these seven things down. Instead of rebuking people, sometimes we just sit back and think, yeah, I'm better than that person who's in sin. Sometimes we have resentment towards the person involved in sin. Sometimes we just enable the sin to continue. Sometimes we just try to ignore it, like, eh, maybe it's not there, no, it's there. Sometimes we fall into the same stuff. Sometimes we talk behind people's back It's even like, oh, pray for this person because they just sinned, A, B, C, and D. It's like, that's gossip. That's not a prayer request. Sometimes we rationalize an excuse. Instead of all those common practices, what if we just said, God, what does health look like in my life? And what's the next step with you? And we took those steps. Here's five steps as examples. And I thought the easiest way to do this would just be text our church phone number, 253-833-566. So people online, they can't come forward. You know, we could have a coming forward, but we're just going to stay in our seats. And I want to encourage you today, if God's leading you to follow Jesus for the first time, we're seeing a lot of people put their trust in Jesus for the first time. It's by grace through faith in Christ. You just text the word follow. We have many people who have been getting baptized. If you're ready to be baptized in water, just Text baptism, church phonem. You want a church home. You've been coming to Grace for a while, but you're not really connected. This isn't really your church home yet. You're just still kind of hopping around. You say, I need a church home. You just text membership. You want to get connected because it's no fun being isolated. We got life groups. You just text the word group. We'll get you connected in a group. And if you think, you know, I want to serve. I don't even know where to start, but I, I want to start using my gifts. I want to build up this group of people right here, build up this community. You text the word serve. Your next step might not be one of those five. If it's one of those five, you just text that word, and our team's going to follow up, walk with you to see what the next step is for you and help you grow in your faith. But it could be something else. It could be, again, at home. It could be overseas. It could be a specific person. Let's just listen to the Lord right now. I said, Labor Day, we slow down and we listen. God, what is the next step? We're not here to point fingers. We want to step out of guilt and shame. We thank you for your mercy and grace. We confess our sins. Forgive us, God, when we don't abide. The things we say, how we treat people, the culture we we bring. God, change our hearts, change our minds, change our habits today. We want to walk in health and vitality, God, and show us what that next step is. Lead us and empower us through the Holy Spirit. We do need you, God. We do need you, Jesus. We are not self-sufficient. We believe you. We believe you do miracles. We believe you're here and you're powerful. We believe there's no limits to how you can transform lives right now, transform our church. God, we look to you together this fall. Come and move in power for your glory. Jesus, we want people to see you and know you. We want to serve you faithfully. Stir these desires in our hearts, God. Unite us together. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all, subscribe to YouTube channel. <laughs> to this, subscribe to this channel. <laughs>